Welcome, movie lovers, to another Anatomy of Movie. P.T. Anderson threads this needle in his latest feature called Phantom Thread. Stay tuned as we- Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Feel the slow music. <laughs> Grab that special someone and be mean to them. <laughs> Theme of the movie. We have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. Dimitri Panos. Hey, movie fans. And I'm Phil Svitek. couple administrative things. First off, welcome to you, fans. Thank you for joining us. We truly, truly appreciate it. If this is your first time, make it a special occasion. If it's... And boy, did you pick the right movie. Eh, well, listen, who knows? There's never one right movie to pick or one wrong movie to pick. Uh, and if you're returning, by God, welcome back. Uh, as we always do, we're very spoiler-filled, so we assume that you've seen the movie. You have been forewarned, so note that. Secondly, you can follow along with our rundown. It's in the description box. All you have to do is click that PDF, and you get to see all of our lovely, lovely notes. But without further ado, we usually kick it off with quick thoughts. So, Marissa, your thoughts on Phantom Thread. Okay, so... This movie has been out for a while here in Los Angeles, and fortunately, we talk movies to just about everyone. So other people have unfortunately already told me that this movie was was slow, um, but beautiful in a sense. So I went in watching this film with the already preconceived notion it's going to be slow. And boy, was it ever. And I generally have a hard time with movies that don't keep my attention for more than 10 minutes and it, this movie was just painfully so cinematography was great acting was good story was okay um, pacing wise it was just I had such a hard time getting through it but ultimately I did overall it's it's a good movie in a way um, pacing I had my problem was the pacing Dimitri? Well, to say it's deliberately pace is an understatement. Uh, it's a slog. Uh, let's face it, this is a movie that, that goes nowhere fast. And it's about deplorable people that goes nowhere fast. Uh, it's another one of P.T. Anderson's, oh, look at me, I can direct. Oh, look at me, direct this scene. Oh, look at me doing this. And there was a big lot of brouhaha that this is Daniel Day-Lewis's, like, his, his swan song. And to film them, and albeit... Maybe it's a little bit better than Sean Connery's last film, which is The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. But this is what he's leaving with? This is this is what he's going to leave his legacy with? The performance was fine. But it, it, I just, there's really, this movie was like two, it felt like four hours of nothing. And, and I really, um, it's hard, it, it, when you're already slow paced, which I don't mind it in a movie. Like, but just give me something to think about. Don't make it about people who are deplorable. Mm-hmm. And these people are just, you you know, you opened up, hey, yeah, <laughs> get your significant other and be mean to them. It was a, it was a power play, which I didn't care about the play. And it just, um, yeah, there was, I, I, I had a hard time sitting through this movie. Uh, and I'm, you know, and I will say, P.T. Anderson, uh, he can go either way with me. And this movie, he went, he went way, way away from me. For some people, 
P.T. Anderson is the sensei who teaches these great lessons, and you kind of just have to watch it, perhaps. Mm-hmm. The problem mm-hmm. is he is not my guru. He is not my sensei. He is not my anything. And so, because there are lessons in life where you're, like, scratching your head of, like, where is this going? What is the lesson? And you're willing to sit through what sometimes can be a painful thing to come to that, oh, moment. This movie is not that. Right. And there, there's no clear-cut goal. Uh, I, I, I get it. It's an art. It, it's ironic that a movie like this came out when also Mother came out quite recently. It's about both artists and their genius and being deplorable to women. Um, the thing that I've heard, I'm actually surprised that women, in particular, from what I've, from my circle of friends, apart from Marissa, actually enjoy this movie. Because <laughs> to put a timestamp on it, we're in this whole women's empowerment, Me Too movement men shouldn't be deplorable to women and like they're arguing that you know hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now she's gaining some control and power. He has all the power in the world. Right. This is, this is Weinstein. This is any one of those people just in a different shell. It's hard to watch a film where your main protagonist is so dislikable, just the character. And I think that's another reason why I had a hard time with this film, because we're supposed to, like the person that we're supposed to follow through for two hours. And he was so dislikable. And that's not necessarily so, but there's got to be somebody in the movie that you can sort of root for. And and it's like this movie is like a five-hour slog of battered wife syndrome. And that to say that she has power, well, her power is that she knows what a poisonous mushroom is. That's her power. But yet she continues to go back. And it seems that by poisoning him, it sets a reset button so that he becomes lovey-dovey again, and then he, 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 he's, like a, he's like a boiling pot. And so he builds, he builds, he builds, he starts to become mean. Oh, time for you to get poisoned again. And it's almost as if, well, at least the way I interpreted it, like he knew, and he was like, yeah, I think it's time for you to, for you to poison me again. And, you know, so that way... You can love and care for me, and I'll appreciate your love by being by you poisoning me. And I'm like, what? You, I didn't know what this movie was saying, to be well, honest with so, you. And it wasn't a power play because I agree with you, and I don't know if you agree with, with this. But he has definitely power play. He, but yeah. but I believe I believe that uh, Woodcock had the power yeah. around everybody. Yeah, and. This might come off as maybe me backtracking or whatnot. I think he's de- he's developed this perfect world around him, and I think if she's going to be part of it, she kind of has to accept that. Um, but to the same token, I, I don't think he was upfront with her as far as what his expectations were. Like, hey, this is my life. This is how I like to to do things, and you're either going to be a part of it or not. And so she was never really giving. An initial choice of that of, of that consciousness. I agree, but at the same time, the beginning of the movie does say like he he uses women, all right, mm-hmm. and and 
it showed like the first woman who you know she believed was in this relationship you know they had the conversation you know he was like he was gonna get rid of her like you know like like, like an old dress and uh, you know his sister Cyril uh, said should I should I ask her to leave you know and you could tell that she probably had that same similar um, background like you know she wasn't higher echelon so he, he you could tell that he it's it's almost like he's sociopathic in which he targets specific women so and he brings them up to this bourgeois kind of life and he uses them as a model until he gets tired of them yeah. until that fashion statement wears thin so to speak and then he tosses them aside and this woman the second woman uh she wasn't really going to have that but you either poison them all the way, <laughs> or, or like you know, are you gonna get, going to continue to be abused? Well, Marissa, um, read the quote you pulled about <laughs> his inspiration because the, it, it's quite interesting the conception of this to what we get. Yeah, so P.T. Anderson, who is also married to Maya Rudolph, who's, like, awesome in the comedic um, world as well. But there was actually a a week where P.T. Anderson was sick, and he was watching a bunch of Turner Classic movies and movies that, uh, like, such as Rebecca and the story of Adele H. and Beauty and the Beast, you know, movies that have, like, strong, empowering women in roles and stuff. And it was actually Maya's... Um, suggestion that he should write a, a film, kind of in, in that sense, and uh, and and he he thought of like this idea of poisoning, and that was like, uh, and you know with with Maya that like he, he felt so sick and, and like poisoning, and that was kind of like the genesis of this story. Well, it was it was, and and uh, to kind of go further with it. It was this idea, like, she was poisoned so they could spend time. And, like, he had this genuine, heartfelt idea that, hey, isn't this nice? I get to sort of take a break, spend time with my wife, do other things I enjoy that, I, you know, if I was working that I wouldn't be doing. But none of that, to me, really comes across. Like, I hope, for the sake of their relationship, they actually love each other, unlike the characters in this movie. (laughs) Yeah, I, yeah think, I hope Maya Rudolph doesn't have to poison him. Well, yeah, it, <laughs> every it was, so many weeks. It was more so that like he he en- he was sick for so long, and but he enjoyed his time when he was sick with his wife because you know that's when they were you know really loving. And I think he trying to translate that over to Elma and Woodcock in this movie that every time he got poisoned, that was when he he might be actually somewhat nice to Alma and like actually kind of civil in a way. He had no choice. He was yeah, he's basically like, so incapacitated. But again, but when you're on the edge of dying, yeah, and you was, might actually be nicer to people. And, and, and the thing of it is, is that he necessarily wasn't. Pure example is the doctor in this film, who is none other than a doctor trying to do his job. And when he comes in, he basically tells him to fuck off. He literally tells and him to fuck yeah. off. When he sees him after he is better, and he sees him in a social setting, he goes, oh, yeah, you're the doctor. And you think that he's going to be, hey, I'm really sorry. But instead he goes, yeah, if I, if I recall, I'm pretty sure I told you to fuck off. And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, you did. He goes, well, fuck off. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, this uh, the, 
Woodcock is a uh, well, he, Woodcock is a prick. <laughs> so, and he's just not a nice man to anybody. And when you think about, it will go into a little bit of the production design too. When you think about the house, the fashion house that he works out of, I mean, he basically has. It's 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 lush. It's beautiful up top, and the bottom is a sweatshop. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he yes, it is. he uses these women, these these seamstresses, who have to be so <laughs> precise in in his uh, you know it, 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 to his to his word to his instruction. Um, and heaven forbid if you get a stitch wrong. Um, yeah, well, he's just not a. He's just you know, I don't you know. Tough. Well, here's. He, Here's what the movie never really answers, and I don't think it really comments on because it's going for a different thing, which I'm still just like you guys wrapping my head around what that is. So <laughs> if in the comment section you know what the hell that is, please explain it to me because I don't, and I'm sorry if that makes me dumb, but I'm not. <laughs> I, the, this idea of genius, just because you're a genius, does it make it okay to be mean? And I don't think that has to be the case. No different than like you don't have just just. Uh, substance abuse doesn't have to be the thing that like drives your your genius and this and that. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think too many people kind of get caught up in that of letting excuses happen for people just because oh that guy's brilliant. You and, have- and it goes across the board. I mean, he's eccentric or he's brilliant or he or she is so good at their job, like because you know they're they're a genius at their job that they can get away with. Uh, mistreating other people, and that goes. For, that's a he/she kind of thing, and you don't question. Well, you know, people don't. It's like okay for that person. You can show up late. Oh, he's a brilliant writer. Yeah, but as a brilliant writer, doesn't that mean they have? They should be brilliant people around them. They they should be brilliant to the people around them as well. Uh, it's all to me. It was always a sign of character. You could be smart. You could do. Good. You could do your job fantastic, but if you mistreat the other people around you, you've completely lost your respect for me, anyways. For whatever that's worth to many people, but I'm just saying to your point, I, I agree. You know, you can be nice and be exceptional at your job. Right. And I think there's a difference between being a prick and having high standards. I don't mind what I, I'm not telling Woodcock to lower his standards of dressmaking and that oh. that he shouldn't be upset if if a design is done incorrectly of how he's seen it and sketched it out i'm not saying that um but there is there is a fine line to it all right and like if if his workers and employees don't do everything to his standards it's he shouldn't just yell at them and berate them he he should actually teach them this is what you're doing wrong this is how you fix it and avoid this complication again in the future mm-hmm. that's what a good employee should sure. do not just Employer. degrade yeah. them and yeah. make them feel worthless yeah. it's to me it's fascinating the fact that he what he finds nobleness in his job and yet the the end result of his job he just he laughs at the superstition of women right they work on these dresses and they feel like they're never going to be married and he scoffs at that as if it's, oh, how silly them. All they want to do is get married. They have no ambitions in life. Well, no events in the time period, buddy. That was kind of a woman's role. And that was a big sure. thing. And if that, she didn't have that, she didn't have much. Mm-hmm. So it, it just further drives home the point that I, 
he doesn't even look at them as like human beings at the end of the day. He just looks at them as mannequins and objects and whatever right. else you want to describe. And, and, as. and being a seamstress um, can be a very noble profession. Okay, and 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 is one at least within the movie business, right? I remember uh, when I was on Contact, the seamstress there who was who was actually putting together uh, like Jodie Foster's costume. She was held in such high regard for the job that she did, you know. And there wasn't a time where she was that at least in my observation, my humble observation, she was never treated as a slave or a sweatshop worker. It was always this wonderful collaboration between the costume designer and putting together whatever it was. Was that her task was, and she was very much revered. And these are people in the in the movie industry. Yes, the costume designer gets a lot of the attention, but the seamstress is the one who puts it all together. And many a time, a costume designer will work with that same seamstress, who will bring them along because they are so good at their jobs. And you're right. In this movie, it did feel as if they were in a slave type of sweatshop condition. It may have been the only job that they were able to acquire, and it was what they were very good at doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I, I'm no fashionista, but the dresses looked beautiful on the women that he was making them for, and on Alma as well as being his muse for the time. Um, but again, like his... his um, he was so inspires not he was um controlling well let me, so let me let me let me see if this fits and Marissa, feel free to comment on it <laughs> it's as if, to me he didn't really get a joy out of it it was more of uh look at how great i am because this <clears throat> you know i think there's a professionalism to whether photography whether filmmaking or in this instance uh dressmaking yeah it's a very intimate process you're going to have to you know, make the boobs look a certain way or how they want them. You, you know, the shoulders, the back, the ass, the whatever, right? And there's a way to talk about those things in a professional manner and address them in a professional manner. But he didn't get a joy out of it. He's like, it, it, one of the first things he said to her, I'll make you have boobs if I want. And what kind of right. fucked up sentence is that? Yeah, that was horrible. At the, and that was at the beginning of the film. And I'm like, oh, my God, we're going to have to watch this guy for two hours. I, I think it's, yeah, I agree with you, Phil, that he it didn't seem like he enjoyed the profession. Or the only thing he really got out of it was the self-satisfaction at the end. When he knew he made amazing dress, he, he had this belief that he made women better because they were in his clothes. They, like, he made them better. They were just women, or, like, they were just people, and he made them actually women. People looked at them. He made them beautiful because it was his work. Yeah. So there, was, there was self-satisfaction at the end. He was a Dr. Frankenstein of, yeah. of the couture. He was a narcissist. You know, he, there was narcissism. Absolutely. Literally, the girl says, I want to be buried in your dress. Right. Yeah. And, and, um, and he did have the self the, the self satisfaction as to look what I created, and um, there was inherent beauty in some of these women, um, and, and what he was able to accomplish was fantastic. But he felt that he he made the woman. And again, when you're talking about a power play and control and narcissism, that's what they believe. Like you're better because you're wearing my my dress. You're yeah, a better. I've made you a better woman. Um, you know, I've given you 
shape and form. I created you, is basically. My dress created you. But he's so rigid. I, I, I love the part where he's like, what is this, what is this chic? chic. What is, this oh, crap. What, what, what is this? And, and he's just so baffled by it and doesn't, like, he can't even, if he could at least keep up with the times, but, but you know, at least it's made such a minor point. But at least I, I was kind of rejoicing at this idea that maybe life will pass him by because the trend's changing and he just can't keep up and people will rise up and realize, you're a cock, woodcock. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because he is. And, like, that, that whole tirade about chic, I'm like, oh, okay. It, it just shows that if it's not to his standards or his personal liking, he's he has... He wants nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. And it's really unfortunate because he is so good at his job, but he's not willing to evolve with the fashion. Yeah. And, that, it, it, that's, and like he was losing his power because there was other things that were, at the time, getting more interesting than his work. Right. And, and I want to talk about the title of this movie um, for a second because maybe I had taken my stupid pill while watching the movie, but there was this whole thing about the phantom thread because he could, he could put any... Thing he wanted in a seam and a cuff or whatever that, that was a phantom. That, that, that's the, the where it was hidden. The wearer did not know what it was. And at the end of the day, who cares? Like it had nothing to do with the story. That's exactly like, what I thought. Cares? It literally added nothing. You know, I mean, outside of like, I think he did something for his mom. Who obviously th- there are some mommy issues going on, if I remember correctly. But it. Who cares? And why was this movie called Phantom Thread? Here's what. <laughs> here's my idea on that, and and it's deplorable because he's inserted himself onto the woman without her realizing. It, it, mm-hmm. I mean, he's labeled the woman. It's his work, basically. He's labeled the woman. I mean, you might, if you really want to stretch it, like uh, like some pretentious film school prick might do, like he's literally. Inserting himself slash raping women. I don't He's know. Like, you can take it that far if you really want, I'm well, sure. I, I, I don't well, have Well, the... I think that that's the thing with. Okay, well, we're going to get away from that. But, no, but, but I think guy. the thing is, like, a lot of well known artists will insert themselves into their work. And he, he so believed his work that he. That was his signature move. That, like, people put their stamp on their work. You know, our. Like, directors. We, we always know a lot of directors make their own personal cameos. I mean, Alfred Hitchcock was always in his movies. Um, so I think that was his way of inserting his own personal flair, other than the design, that it, it was his stamp of work that no one knew about it. But usually... So he made it one of his own. A narcissist will put that out in the open. Like, you know... Brands don't hide. Like if you buy a pair of Levi jeans, they don't put it in. They make sure that you're able to see it. This thing, to your point, and like not making a joke of it, in a sense, it was his way of imprinting himself onto his subject matter, which was oh, which was. By the way, I didn't mean it as a joke. No, but but I mean, as harsh as it it, was, I was being serious. Well, forgive me. I, I mean, I was just laughing at your at your reaction. But it's it's that way, and and if you notice, he never made suits for men. It was always women, women fashion. always women's fashion. And, and remember, early on, uh, Alma didn't like one of the dresses, and she said, "Maybe it's not my taste." And he just tells her flat out, "You don't have taste." You don't have taste. Mm-hmm. Okay, like right. it, it, taste is quite 
differently defined to most people. And again, I think it's the women. It's not to his taste. Right. And I think it's because of the women that he chose. There was the opening of the movie to me is 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 the the most important part as to why Alma comes into this spider web because you could see that there was probably a pattern. I don't know whether or not the first woman was a waitress, but she was not. She was a lower class who was instantly brought into the higher echelon of class, and she was able to wear these beautiful dresses. And then it comes a time where he tires of her, and it's a great line. Replaceable. Should we replaceable? Should we get... You want me to ask her to leave? And um, should I let her keep the dress? Like, that was an important question to ask. You know, it was like a parting gift. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. see you later. <laughs> and it wasn't even going to come from him. It was going to come from his sister. It, but you get to keep the dress. Yeah. Well, so go back to your Ironically, life. I blame a lot of it. It's tough to say. I would, I would love... Uh, the movie that I would love to see is her and the sister... Him and the sister of, of, of their backstory. Because I think she placated a lot to this. Like, there, there's moments where she's extremely tough on him and, and, and bats him down. But maybe she should have done that earlier. Right. Or, like, it seems every once in a while she tries to keep him in check, but he's so domineering that she can't. And it's really frustrating when you see, like, someone you live with and you you still have to, like, you're pretty much, sounds terrible, obligated to still love them because you're family. Correct. But you can have, yeah, and you can have personal disagreements. But he was such a domineering person. That she she couldn't control him even if she tried. And I, I I disagree only to an extent because I feel that Cyril, as played by Leslie May, uh, Manville, I thought she was the only character in this movie that grew that had an arc because she was be- becoming so tired of the brothers of of Woodcocks of, of of Reynolds' abuse towards women. She actually said to him, you know, I like this Alma. And I believe that she actually did like Alma. And the treatment of Alma, I think, started to bother her. And I thought one of her turning point was when uh, 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 where Reynolds was in Cyril's office. And unbeknownst to Reynolds, Alma walked in. And Reynolds was just going on this thing about how terrible, terrible Alma is. And she and the sister was like, okay, okay. And then when he was done, Alma says, is there anything else I could do or whatever? And like, you knew that Cyril did that on purpose. And that was her power play. And she that was her bringing him down many notches. Yeah, it's like well, almost this thing of betrayal. And so, but I think that she began to sympathize with Alma to an extent. And I do believe that she actually did like Alma. I agree. And I, uh, it's interesting, Reynolds would never... He couldn't fight his own battles. The, <laughs> the time when, when she makes him dinner, he just kept saying, you know, where, 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 where's Cyril? Where's Cyril? Because he wanted her to deal with it because he couldn't tell her, like, no, I don't want this. And this is... So, first off, why... God forbid that she made you dinner, number one. Number two, if you really don't like it, guess what? You're going to have to step up to the plate and be able to explain it to her. Yeah, just say it. But again, it shows like if anything, not just fashion in his company, if anything wasn't to his liking, he had a hard time dealing with it. And it's just so unfortunate when 
he couldn't even muster up those words and be brave and actually say, like, actually, I don't want to eat this food. Well, in, in, in to the further point is he's so controlling. This is why a controlling person doesn't like a surprise because he or she can't control that instance. He he doesn't like having dinner. He doesn't like having a, di- a surprise dinner, not dinner, but a surprise dinner cooked for him because he cannot control what the ingredients may or may not be into that dinner. And it's very interesting. Let's talk, if I could talk a little bit more about Cyril, because Alma does go to Cyril to come up with the idea, right? And when you hear the idea, at least when I heard the idea, I was like, well, that sounds very sweet. That's very sweet. That comes from a good place, right? And Cyril, as again, she was so stern. She's like, it's really not a good idea. And she wasn't, and, and at that point, you really think that she's being a jerk to her. But she's like, I would really heavily advise against doing that. And then Alma dug in her heels and says, well, you know what? I just did this as a courtesy. And Cyril's like, look. And she was being very stern. And in and, and the way that that scene plays, Cyril comes off looking like the bad guy until things go so awry, you go, you were warned, girl. <laughs> like, you dug in your heels. So maybe if Cyril approached it differently. <laughs> but she was warned. And then you go, Cyril was trying to look out for you. Like, regardless of what you think, she actually had your best interest at heart in telling you that's a bad idea. Yeah, but it, the audience just feels bad for Alma because she was just doing something out of pure kind. <laughs> Kindness. I, I listen. And, I and to be treated disagree. like that when she she didn't have to do it at all. She was just being a nice person. You feel bad for her. I, I, That's why Cyril turns out to be the quote unquote bad person in the situation. Yeah, I don't disagree. I only say when you look at that scene and then how it played out, Cyril wasn't trying to be mean about it. When you think back, she was actually being trying to help Alma out and say. Don't do it. I, I highly advise. You Maybe it was it. just me. I didn't. I didn't take fault in Cyril at all. I, right. It just reaffirmed this notion of like, wow, Reynolds is crazy, and he's not going to play, and he's not going to change. Like, if this is quote a bad idea, right? <laughs> Jesus. I, 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 listen, I sometimes people have a right to their thing, and and they can be rigid and so forth. Uh, but number one. I'm a firm believer that it shouldn't step on anybody else, right? Mm-hmm. You want perfection. You want your own specific way. That's fine. Just don't have it step on other people. Right. And, you know, if you're at a restaurant and you have to insist a certain thing because you have an allergy or something, fine. I'm not going to, like, you can you have the right because of your allergy to be very stern, like, hey, don't do this. Hey, you brought out the thing. I said don't put in whatever, macadamia nuts. You put in macadamia nuts. Right. Send it back. Great, I'm all in. Uh, but when it affects other people and you bring them knowingly into this world, right. and and especially in this sense, like we're talking about dinner, it's the most absurd thing in the world. I know. Versus, uh, you know, there, there's people in third world countries or at war that, yeah, you know what, they don't want to have to be rigid or, or not rigid, whatever term, but they have to make do and, and to kind of adapt. Based on what's going on, maybe right. sometimes getting their head shot at. He, yeah, well, and here I want to. And here's I'm going to pose this question. So, uh, Alma, the dinner suggestion we know comes from the heart. 
Like there was a there was re, there was a there was a very fine reasoning behind it, and we know that it was very altruistic. And I want to spend a night alone. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm going to let everybody go. I want some alone time with my husband, and we're going to make it romantic, right? Nobody can argue that it didn't come from a good place in the heart. Now, if it were you, and then you did, I mean, it was not like Alma had to ask for permission. I mean, she could have done this regardless, right? But she did ask for permission. So if you would ask for permission about your significant other, about, hey, I want to make dinner, blah, 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 and that person said, don't do it. I think the likelihood is is that, like, just speaking for myself, I may have dug in my heels too and going, but it's as innocent as having a dinner. I just want to be alone with my significant other. And I may have still gone ahead with it, even though there was a precursor Well, I think you could disaster. track it a little so bit different. You, you, could, you, could, you could say, like, okay, instead of that, what do you suggest? Mm-hmm. Now, granted, in this scenario, I think there wasn't much Cyril could have suggested, like, Put in two sugar, two two things of sugar in his tea, and he'll be happier. I don't like. You're like, really? But how would you yeah, feel? Just... Like, how would you feel if you would ask that question and that person like denied you? Would you go on with your plan? Like, what would you what would you do? If, would probably, put yourself in Alma's shoes. Me I personally, think. I would probably change my plan, but it just shows how sad and toxic of a relationship <laughs> this is. Toxic. When she has to ask something like that, she can't just do something nice for her husband. Right. And and it's really sad that she wanted to do something out of generosity and out of the goodness of her heart, but to get backlash, it's it's. I feel bad for her. It was like, a very uncomfortable. Girl, get out. It was a very uncomfortable scene. Yeah. The dinner. Yeah. Here's what I can say. I would hope that if I was in the same, if I had the same sort of life that that Alma did, that I would have the wherewithal in that situation to to be like, this is a red flag, and some, you know, my I gotta change something up in my life, one way or the other. I would hope. I would hope. I can't say 100, percent but I would hope. <laughs> Let me, Go ahead. Let me let me shift gears. Sure. Is this movie meant to be satirical? About or, whose life? I don't just, know. Just but, the fashion. Well, satire to me takes something, and and I don't want to define satire with satire, so I'm trying to think of how to better define it. But it it, it takes something and 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 inserts it with absolute. Uh, sometimes ridiculousness to showcase a point so perhaps we can learn a lesson. And there were a lot of people in my screening that did actually laugh uh, at, at some some things. And so is this a satire? If it is, for me, A, I don't think it is, primarily because I don't take away what what is the lesson. But I want to hear from you guys' perspective of A, is it a satire? B, if it is. I think it's a very fascinating question. And if it were meant to be a satire for me personally, it fails miserably <laughs> because I wasn't laughing. There's nothing for me to really laugh at at this movie. Um, you can you can laugh at boorish behavior. And for whatever reason, when, when satire came up, when you said that word, uh, two movies popped uh, into mind. And, you know, they're great examples. You got uh, Dr. Strangelove, right, <clears throat> and Blazing Saddles. They're both satires. They're both taking certain notions and turning them on their heels and making the ridiculous out of them, right? So even when you have a character like Buck Turgenson, right, who's this blowhard played by uh, 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 George C. Scott, right? He's not a nice man, but his buffoonery, 
is you laugh at him. Uh, you know, Blazing Saddles turns the concept of racism on its heels and 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 turns the and turns it on you know the white man so to speak, and it does it through great comedy. This movie, you know, Daniel Day Lewis. There's nothing boorish or buffoonish about him. He's just mean. And I didn't come away with a lesson learned. I didn't know what it, if it was a satire. What's the theme? What am, what am I supposed to be? Wait, is it making fun of the fashion world? Is it making fun of women? Because if it's making fun of women, huh. bad timing. Yeah, <laughs> and, timing. And so, and I didn't, I, I mean, I found nothing funny about this movie. Same here. I When I watched this film, not once did I laugh. I don't think it was set up to be a satire whatsoever. It it was more set up as like just a sad, depressing reflection on what could actually happen in the fashion industry or whatever industry you want to call it when like you're such a master at, at a craft. And if anything, God forbid, goes against the ways that you typically do things, then... Yeah, it's now. I don't think it's a satire. I think it's just a sad reflection on what could happen. Right, and look at look, look at another movie. It's great, fabulous, sad, satirical comedy, Duck Soup. Right. Yeah, I mean that's uh, one of the old time. Oh, I know. I'm going way back, but again, look who's the best. But they're, those movies are labeled as comedies. Like, this one is so not a comedy. Not even close. Well, I, I will admit I did laugh, but I laughed at the absurdity at what was just being said. I was like, really? Out of shock. Yeah. <laughs> right? And you can th- laugh out of shock, but that's not funny. Yeah. It's mortification, really. Right. And <laughs> Mortification. I, I mean, here's the thing. I, 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 don't know and I don't know enough about fashion to... And I'm sure there's plenty of women with we're seeing it now in whether in the music industry the, the the filmmaking industry whatever that are with people just for power but but even even so like what one of the weird parts of all of this is i don't know what alma's after it's not like she wants to rise to a certain status that i can tell of within the fashion industry it's if she's in it for the money kill him like mm-hmm. What is your goal? I like okay. I I you, can, yeah. I agree with that. I I kind of have to be the woman in this perspective, but I think there are so many women out there, and this sounds terrible, but it's true. There are so many women out there who feel like they can change men in relationships. I I've seen it. I've witnessed it, and it's never pretty. There are women who like truly believe that they can ch- change men in their ways if they stick with them love them, change their ways, change their behaviors, change their mentality. And I think Alma kind of had that. When every time she poisoned him, she's, right. she, it's like she saw something new or nice about this guy that she could actually cling on to. It's like, hey, maybe deep within, you know, deep down inside him, he might actually be a good person, and that person is a person I can see a life with, a right. future with. So, And it's really sad when there are women who just cling on to something where they're trying so hard to change a person. And I feel that's what Alma was doing in this relationship. Like, she truly believed that she could bring out something out of him. Well, I want to I read, you know, so I want to read something because I'm not entirely sure I agree with the statement. And this comes from, from, from the press kits, from production notes, right? In talking about the women of, of Reynolds Woodcock, right? So it goes on. It says, love enters the picture in the form of Alma. She's the waitress. Reynolds meets during that weekend. And it goes, but where Reynolds is blindsided, Alma becomes galvanized. 
And it says, it's Alma's story, this country girl, an immigrant, who basically takes over and comes to dominate the house of Woodcock, says, um, and this is coming from the producer, Joanne Seller, um, does she ultimately dominate the house? Dominate is a okay. very no. strong That's word. That's a strong word, Heck right? No. What, what, do she, you think I she think dominated? She, no, no, no. She comes in and changes the flow of the house. Correct. Absolutely. But not in any way does she dominate over people or what actually happens. She, she changes the dynamic, not dominates. And uh, She changes the dynamic, but going back to the beginning of the movie do you think that woman at some point had changed the flow and the dynamic and then he just tired of her let's face it Alma was on her way out <laughs> she was the question came up mm-hmm. do you want me to ask her to leave um, and there was a choice to be made poisoning someone yes there is a domination over that but he had every <laughs> he had every choice to eat it or not eat it Correct. or how much he's going to eat Correct. so what <laughs> She didn't insert herself and dominate anything. Yeah, and did you did you think maybe not the first time, but the subsequent times he knew? Oh, right? the, 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 the omelet. Yeah, there's he a said, they, they looked at each yeah. other and like, and he looked at her very knowingly, and 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 it's something that they played with the sound design of food because he was so hateful of any time there's like, and 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 clinging and sipping and whatnot, and so he was very methodical in the way he chewed that little piece of omelet looking at her knowing that okay I'm going to do this for you but I'm only taking one bite type of thing cuz he could have very well like, he was in full control yeah I felt I felt yeah there's no way. I never words. felt that she was the dominant part of that household not at all uh well you know I mean she did have the one scene when okay and somebody explained to me all right, so you had that. You had this one woman um, that he makes a dress for. Which one? She's the a little queen, bit the Belgian. Over, she's a yeah. She's a little overweight. Oh, the oh, uh, yeah. okay, the green dress. The we'll green call dress. It. Okay. And the woman who sleeps with it on. <laughs> well, <laughs> that but was actually... what the hell was going on there? Like, why was she sick? What was going on? Why? Like, was she a drunkard? Like, I there was a relationship between that woman and Woodcock. He, it, it seemed as if he had made a dress or dresses for her prior, um, and I just didn't know what the hell was going on. She's at this dinner and she's woozy, and then she finally face plants. She got they, too drunk. Was that it? Because I didn't see her like. I, I felt like she she partied a little too hard. And Woodcock was, like, so proud of his work and the dress that she was wearing, and she was not wearing it to the best style. And and he was appalled at the fact that she fell <laughs> she asleep in it. Right. Well... And it, it, like, is to well, set up But don't everything. forget, my point was going that Alma actually... I mean, when they were going in and, and, the, and the servant answers the door, mm-hmm. uh, Woodcock says, you know, let us in. We're going to take the fucking dress off ourselves. But it's Alan that comes in and scolds the woman. There's so many Joey. He got a hard on when she came in. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just too easy with his name. But <laughs> I, as far as their relationship, um, I think I, I think the way it seemed, she kind of helped fund the house in a way, and he so he was subservient to that. Uh, but he hated that because you know obviously that meant he had to pull in certain favors for her. 
but he did it with such disdain. Like you knew how I felt so bad for her. He's he's like pulling this thing up over his face as far as he can go, and she knows what he's doing. And the reason why she does get so drunk is because she's no one wants to look at me, and like even the dress that he had made, like he just wanted to make a. A, a, a teepee <laughs> so he could hide my face right. because no one wants to look at my face and thank god the dress is something right um that's what i got out of it so um i do have uh i guess as close to a definition as i can find regarding phantom thread let's hear so, it so uh now and now apparently it was in the spring of 2017 the project became known as the phantom thread okay so name for a predicament common among east london seamstresses in the victorian era who were accustomed to working long hours in miserable conditions in manufacturing system that left them physically emotionally and psychologically exhausted after marathon pe- periods of sewing magnificent dresses for royals and aristocrats, the exhausted workers found themselves like automatons, sewing invisible threads outside the workroom. Phantom threads. Ah, uh, this is like they got into an autopilot mode. <laughs> Even when they were home, I guess they were doing phantom threads. I didn't get that at all. We never saw the home life. Like, yeah, never if, once did they explain that. And and, and if you, this story was to be about the seamstresses, aha, that might have been a better story. Because then, like, you see that they, too, have a love for their work, but they're being so beat up on that when they go home, it's, it's almost like a PTSD. <laughs> um, so that's there. The title also implies a ghostly force. Crafting a story from beyond the human realm in which its earthly characters remain powerless to authorial control. Mm -hmm. Do we control the art or does the art control us? All the elements are in place for this classic gothic romance. Pretentious poodoo, I say. (laughs) I mean. Well, at the end of the day, like, no, every artist, you know what? You just got to deal with certain things. And there's life is a part of life, as simply as I can say. And though... P.T. Anderson's favorite line from the movie is, the tea is going out, but the interruption is staying right here with me. I'm sorry. You have to be, uh, what's the, amenable? This would be the word I would be looking for. Mm-hmm. Right, so you're an English buff. Is that the word I'm looking for? <laughs> I, w- I would say it's 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 sad that, it, based on that quote, it, it shows that it seems like Woodcock is so domineering that... They turned their love of of sewing and craftsmanship into just a job. Therefore, they got into autopilot mode. They were mentally checked out. They were just working and not really caring about the craft anymore. So, yeah, and I, I, I here's I felt not that I felt bad for Woodcock, but I found it quite ironic that when he fell over the first time. Everyone's biggest concern was he left the mark on the dress. The dress. Yeah, Did you he hear? I, he the dress. Le- it, was the, it was the dress. <laughs> like no one cared about him. No, it was like oh, oh, because they knew he would be pissed when he eventually wakes up, <laughs> and it was like oh my god, there's a mark on the dress. You know, and nobody said yeah, but he, he's the one who did it. They would have said it doesn't matter. <laughs> it, there's a mark. The dress is ruined. We, we have to see if we can fix it. Yeah, that was just uh, that was definitely telling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when he instills instills such fear 
on the fashion and the work, not of the people. Mm-hmm. That's sad when the priority is the clothes and not the actual people that make it. And that's not that's not organic respect. No, either because he could have very. I mean, in, in a I would. I would hope that if, like, if I was in a similar position, I'd just be like, hey, guys, I'm going to be okay. Or, like, but, you know, I appreciate your guys' concern. The wedding's happening tomorrow. Please just fix it. Right. (laughs) And I'll I'll, I'll be okay. Thank you for your concern. Yeah. Yeah. I would hope. And go throw up. Yes. Did one of them actually ask if he was okay? No one one asked. Exactly. No one cared about him. Not even the sister, Sarah. It was just out of <laughs> I mean, it was it was like they, they all went aghast when they that did. dress went over. I think they, they asked, "Should we call the doctor?" But it was just it, it was a matter of procedure, not concern. Yeah, it was. It, it, and, and and here's where I thought, okay, this movie has also been described as being Hitchcockian, and I'm like, okay. And here was the one part that I thought, oh, okay, this is going to be Hitchcockian because she. Cyril goes, we need to get a doctor. And Alan's like, no, no, no. Out of fear for being caught, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And you're going, oh, this is where... This is where we have some fun. This is where we have a little bit of fun. Okay, I get it now. She's trying to get... And, and that never transpired either. It's like, yeah, the doctor came and... He fucked uh, off. He <laughs> fucked off. And... and and then it became known that she was poisoning him, and he continued to eat the omelet, and that was that was her in for being caring, and that's how she could take care of him, is if she made him sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no. All right, so we shift gears into more of the production side, although I am wow. having a fun with this movie. <laughs> Just destroying it. By the way, the similarities... See, it's so easy. The, the similarity between Hitchcock and Woodcock is they both share the last four letters of their name. <laughs> That's the only thing they share. <laughs> um, well, you know, but but it's, 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 it's one thing to say, like, to destroy a movie. If, if anything, you know, what it proves is, like, it's, 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 it's discussionable. It's, 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 you can have... We're having a conversation about it. I sure as hell hope that people aren't bored with the conversation. Maybe they have a different point of view. I mean, that's the whole thing about movies. But, um, I mean, I've been enjoying it. I, and, and then, like, when, when I read what the definition of Phantom Threat is, I go, okay, had I known that before the movie, would it have changed anything? No, because yeah. then that would have upset me more because I would have said, well, it should have been about the seamstresses then. Like, that's that's right? like saying Mother is a, is a movie about how to raise your kids. Or, right. or like an, another painfully slow movie like Moonlight that won Best Picture last year. People don't really know the term Moonlight if you actually read the book. Right. But they it, had like nothing to do with the actual film that you were watching. Well, the only thing, not this, I'm sorry, there, there's a scene that takes place on a beach and, and it's dark and there's a moon. So, Moonlight. and it's a very significant scene <laughs> in the movie. So, so that but at least also, makes like, sense. They don't, they don't explain it, the title in the film. Like yeah. you only learn really after the fact. So it happens a lot. <clears throat> um, well, there is a there is a reason why Anderson made this within the within the fashion world, which is really interesting. Um, you know, he was not he was not he had very little he had no knowledge of dressmaking and or fashion history, um, and he had finished 
uh, doing Inherent Vice, which if you want to talk about a mess of a movie, uh, go ahead. You tell me if you've ever, if anybody who's seen that, I can't figure that movie out at all. Um, but he was out with a frequent collaborator, uh, and Anderson received a compliment from this musician, Johnny Greenwood, and the musician basically said uh, he was sarcastic. Uh, and he says, look at you, Bo Bromel. I don't know who Bo Bromel is, but Anderson said that he was so taken by the comment that he actually <coughs> looked the name up, and that brought him into interest, in, and that's how his interest of the fashion world started to grow. And then he found this Spanish cotier, Cristobal Balaciaga. Uh, uh, and, and he started studying him, and that brought him into this world of fashion. And, and apparently this Balenciaga also was uh, the inspiration for, for choosing Daniel Day-Lewis because Balenciaga had angular features much like Daniel Day-Lewis uh, would have. So it's very interesting that his jump into making a movie about couture and fashion came from a sarcastic comment that was lobbed his way about how he looked going to an event. And um, I mean... I'm no expert. Um, Juliet, who's engineering, she might know more than me. But uh, at the end of the day, even like couture houses, uh, they have collaborators. Now, granted, they might a lot of them be male, but nonetheless, they they collaborate on looks and designs and and the line. <laughs> there was no collaboration uh, from Woodcock's Mm-mm. perspective, yeah. which was interesting. It was a singular identity. Yeah, and and I think that's that was by design. He liked things his way. Control. The only thing he focused on was the fashion and not what the house looked like or right. how the house worked. Right. Just what came out the the product at the end. Yeah. All right. Um one of the inter- so for me one one of the interesting points about this movie was that a it's his uh, second highest budget after Magnolia, and furthermore, he kind of we can't say he shot it himself because as he says, he collaborated and you know whether it was the gaffers and the camera ops, they came up with the shots together because his normal cinematographer was unavailable, uh, which is quite interesting. Uh, and looks wise, I think they achieve something spectacular. So I can't really fault them there. Absolutely. And you always worked with the cinematographers and DPs um, because and P.T. Anderson wanted a specific look for the film. And he's known to film on film. But they did so many tests, like months of testing. I believe it was like nine months of just film and chemical testing just so they can get the right color and look and saturation and grain of just the overall look before they even really started filming the movie. Right. So they, they just put a lot of time just for the visuals. Yeah, it was right. interesting. You, you definitely could see the grain. Uh, in particular, the night scenes, it was grain city. Oh, which I, 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 I thought was kind of cool, I'll admit. The way the, the way the interior of the house was filmed, the way the... Um, that upstairs, uh, for lack of better words, the attic where he had the mannequin, um, where Alma, where he brings Alma, and, and that's where she sort of became sort of wide-eyed, like, oh, I'm being brought into this beautiful mansion, and look, 
look, he's gonna he's gonna use me as a model, like that. You know, that's amazing. But the way that those scenes were filmed, as well, uh, I thought, again, looked fantastic. There was there was another scene uh, where it was only. Do I want to call it a spiral staircase? In a sense, like it was yeah, that the curve, the, the, the curve, the curved, and and. That was an interesting shot as he's following people. Then they would disappear because you know, the camera, you know, through floor. But then he would pick them up on the next level. Like that was an interesting um, thing. Hitchcocky to an extent, I guess, because that would be, <laughs> you know. But that was the only way. <laughs> it was only in style so. that's, that's of directing. But um, now they spent a lot of time <clears throat> on uh, the color and like and. Getting different lightings and there's like smoke filtrations, um, right. a lot of different color um, chemical process that they tried before they even started filming. But I think like the the um, the perspective and just like setting up a shot and the right. actual aesthetics of it looked pretty. I like the color um, temperatures and the color scheme of this film i mean it is a house that you would like to take a walk through mm-hmm. just to see what it um how it, it looked and and like the function of it and even the colors of the dresses especially on an already chemically colored changed film right still look pretty um with the greens and the purples and and the, you know the different type of fabrics that Absolutely. clearly look different in real life but translate differently on screen yeah, I thought I, I appreciate it, and um, he also had his set of favorite lenses um, that he brought to the table. So I, I think that's cool um, when you kind of know what you're going for. And it, they talked a lot about the poisoning scene and how they wanted to make sure it was all close-ups and various things of that nature. And and so it's good that he had it in his head of how it was going to sort of play out. Um, do you, let me throw this question out. Do you think, though, that in some cases it just screams, look at me as a director. Look at this way cool shot. Like, look at what I'm doing. Like, this is really cool. As opposed to to it being organically into the movie. And then you'll think about it later and going, yeah, that movie as a whole looked fantastic. I mean, yeah, you can say that, but also... I mean, hello, Roger Deakins. He purposely sets up a shot, so you talk about it for an hour. Yeah, but I'm talking about it, but Roger Deakins is a cinematographer who works for a director, Mm -hmm. so I don't, like, look at, like, for me, it's Paul Thomas Anderson going, look at this amazing shot that I just directed. Like, look at the camera, look at the way I move my camera. think there's ego behind it? I, I, I mean, I get what you're saying, but I don't think it's a function of cinematography. I think it's a function of editing. Cut out, honestly, what, this is this movie's two hour, ten minutes with credits and all that. Cut it down to 80 minutes, and <laughs> I promise you, it will feel a lot different, and we would still be saying the same thing about the cinematography, because I think it is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But it would have a completely different tone, right. and I think it would have a much more, like... Better pacing. I, better pacing, I, you know... I don't. I wouldn't necessarily mind this movie if it's like a short slice of life cautionary tale, right. eighty minutes. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I I wouldn't necessarily be against that. Right. But to give me two hours of this sludge, that I'm on. Uh, you know, my time is. I'm sorry, you, you Woodcock. You, you have your perfect routine. My time is precious to oh, me. Felt like six. 
Six hours? Yeah. Oh, I looked at my oh, yeah. watch. I had my watch on me, and I went through, like, it would play through six scenes. And I was like, okay, surely we got through at least five minutes of this. Look down. 30 seconds passed. <laughs> what? Are you friggin' serious? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, I, and I think it bears... <clears throat> talking about since we're seeing design we um regarding the dress regarding the dresses uh the the the, the multiple dresses so mark bridges mark bridges yeah. um what i you know they actually they 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 made these dresses from scratch um they weren't bought they weren't uh, they were literally designed and made there and you know and um because Bridges goes on, once we decided to create original designs, there was no turning back. We could only keep moving forward from that point on. And these dresses, I mean, many of them were were flowing and big and beautiful. And <coughs> forgive me, you know, just knowing that, like, it would take time. You had to do the fittings, make sure that the, I'm sure Pete D. Anderson was as controlling and making sure that it needed to be a particular way. And knowing how Daniel Day-Lewis works as a method actor, I'm sure he yeah. gave his input too. Well, Daniel Day-Lewis <laughs> also, because he is so method acting, he actually recreated a Balenciaga dress from st- from scratch. Um, that's like, because he really wanted to study how you build a dress from scratch. And I'm like, you didn't appreciate that. So he spent months on doing that. Um, but for the... Um, the dresses, Mark Bridges made approximately 50 different garments and um, took inspiration from Balenciaga, Karl Lagerfeld, um, Charles James, and Dior. And they actually bought a lot of fabrics that were, like, more native to the U.K. because, you know, that's where the story takes place. So they got actual source fabric from those countries and different suppliers from Rome, France, um, and Germany, and, like, different satins and wools and different fabrics and with the different heavy rich colors um and with also you know velvet as well so like purple um because purple usually um represents royalty and you know uh and they have the emerald color too yeah and i want to bring this up too because again i'm not a i'm nowhere close to being a fashionista i will admit that but um bridges uh, met with Anderson and Day Lewis to determine the style codes of the House of Woodcock. And Bridges goes on to say, We spent an entire day determining the color scheme and textures of the house, the house. And we settled on deep, rich hues and a lot of lace with, and here's where I get with juxtaposed textures like velvet, satin, and some garments. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I don't know why they juxtapose. The deep, rich hues and a lot of lace. I, I, I don't. Again, well, I think, I'm not I think, a costume designer, so they know what they're talking about. As as, as far as visually, like you know, <clears throat> what I appreciate about all these things coming together was that when they're working on the dresses, they hide away into the background. The house is white; right. they're wearing white, and the dresses just pop and are, are that much more gorgeous. Which, if you're the characters, in a sense, and 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 a woman comes to see her dress, I think could be part of the technique because obviously that stands out versus sure. everyone just wearing what they want and we're all working. Right. Um, as far as Daniel Day-Lewis is concerned, one of the things I do appreciate, uh, it, his method acting comes from a, a huge place of humility in the sense of, if I don't do this, I don't think I can act well enough to portray this. 
So mm-hmm. I had like in order for me to be a decent actor, I have to do this and learn this. And I actually a believe him because he goes to far great lengths to learn these skills, um, whether this movie or other movies. And uh, yeah, you know, you believe it. Now, can he do it without it? If he says he can't, I mean, I think he could to some extent, but... Yeah, it's his method, and it just makes me wonder, when you're making a movie like this, is this the person you want to deal with after the director says, cut, print it, <laughs> like take five, he's going to be this character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what, dude? Sh- 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 shut the F up. Uh, here's the like, thing. As long on. as I know, like, that's... You know, that's who you like. You're not doing it on purpose. You're this is your method, and this is what you need to do. Then I can respect that because um, again, it, it's under the notion of something else. Yeah, and like sure. I appreciate Daniel Day Lewis for his method acting as an an actor actually learning a craft for the role that he's playing. I mean, Tom Cruise, love him or hate him, he's also known for method acting as, like, if he has to fly a helicopter, he's going to take the actual pilot lessons to learn how to properly fly a helicopter. But many you know, actors so do I, that. I, yeah, exactly. But I think it's it's more so, like, I just appreciate Daniel Day-Lewis from learning how to actually build a dress to to go to those lanes for the authenticity of a performance. No, I, and I'm not questioning... Um, his talent as an actor. He's a fantastic actor. One of cinema's, like, best. And he's had longevity. Uh, I, I only question, like, you know, if you're making Lincoln and Spielberg says cut and you want people to just refer to you as Lincoln after the movies, it's like, I, I, I guess I understand method acting to an extent, but even Tom Cruise, yes, he'll learn how to fly a helicopter. He'll do his own stunts and whatnot. And he has an idea of the craft, but once he's cut, he's Tom Cruise. It's like once they say action, then he's whatever character he is, as many actors do. And there are a lot of actors out there who will put research into the role. Uh, uh, we talked about Spotlight, um, where they, 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 they studied journalism, what it took to be. I don't see Mark Ruffalo at the end of the day, at you know. Interviewing people. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe he does just for the practice, but this, you know, the same thing with the post. You know, I think when, once they say cut, they're going, all right, that was a good take, you know, whatever. And then we go back into it. Like, the method acting thing to me is a very, it's just a, it's a funny method. Well, um, I, I, I don't, again, if Daniel Day Lewis, as long as him as, as an actual person is a good human being and okay, he, this is the character that he's portraying and he's not, Listen, he doesn't have to go out his way to be mean to people on set, but you know, if, <clears throat> if he's just walking around in this character, being this character, I, I don't have a problem with mm-hmm. that. You know, um, as long as that's explained to people, so it's not like, well, Daniel Day Lewis is a big dick. Mm-hmm. No, it's just him and character. And I've never heard that he mistreated anybody on his set. So, you, know, you know, he's a he has a, a high set of professionalism in him. Yeah, like he did it for the authenticity of his performance. Absolutely. So like because Daniel Day-Lewis and Leslie Manville, they actually spent months together actually learning about each other and like hanging out, being mm-hmm. be- becoming natural friends. So the 
um, actual real life friendship, and you can believe that these people really know each other on screen yeah. and off, compared to Daniel Day Lewis and and uh, uh, Alma, uh, what's her, no, Vicky, Vicky Cripes, Cripes. Mm-hmm. Um, they purposely purposefully spent a lot of time apart because it had to show that there was some distance and a disconnect between them, right? And so that would translate on screen, right? So method in that way. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of which, so this kind of transitions us to editing. Um, there's a consistency. You know, comedies, you try a couple more things. And, it, you know, there's also, obviously, no take's going to be exactly the same. But when, when it came to Daniel Day-Lewis, he's so precise in his methods that there was a great consistency from take to take to take. Absolutely. Which is a good and bad thing. Yeah. Um, sometimes you you need a little bit different variety because you realize that for the cut to you know for if you're changing stuff story wise you need a different sort of emotion, but then it also works because then you could just pick the one based on everyone else's performance, and right. you know you pick the best one based on camera and so forth, and the performance is the same. And 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 to Daniel Day Lewis, he he even had mentioned too that working on this project was a nightmare. Um, the house is vast as it seemed. For filming spaces, it was actually quite small. And everybody was on top of each other. And because of his, again, it goes, <clears throat> it was, you know, Day-Lewis and is famous for his method acting tendencies, but clearly staying in character was tough in such a small space. The actor even teased that the crew grew unhappy with the film's tight neck production, joking, you see, it's hard to work with the crew that really hates you. So, um, and, and this comes from an article that I had found uh, uh, out of IndieWire uh, that talked about, uh, you know, that it actually was a nightmare filming within these uh, these confined sets. Particularly, again, going the mannequin mm-hmm. um, set. Confined, but the way it was filmed uh, and the darkness and the green of the film, like you almost felt as if you could sense the dust. <laughs> Of, of within that attic and, and, and of the cloth, so to speak. But right. that couldn't have been fun. <laughs> no, and also the interesting thing is about the editing, the first cut of this film was three hours and ten minutes. So can you imagine? This film could have been longer than it felt is. felt like seven hours. I know. You notice yeah. how it going incrementally up? I started just, at five. I'm just curious of what they did cut. Oh, so, <laughs> all the action. More arguing, <laughs> more conversations More about mushroom chic, picking. Probably. I think, yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting. I, I think there's a couple of deleted scenes, but I think in general, if I had to guess, uh, they cut down a lot of just moments and reactions and so forth, which is ironic to say because there's still a lot of them there. There are. Um, and, I, and I think it's... It, you know, I, I'm all for auteurs and these directors that write and direct and produce their own movies, but I think they need a serial in their life that is willing to be like, okay, no, you gotta, you, you gotta have some humility and take this out. It's not in service of the movie or change this. Right. And I think I don't know if he has anyone like that around. No, I mean, I've said of some of his works before, he seems to be one of the only directors in town that is able to, that is given carte blanche to, to film his first drafts. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in some cases, that's what it feels like. Um, 
And there could be editing. And if you're editing from, what did you say? 310. 310 to 210. Yeah, basically cut an hour out of that movie. You know, what subplots could I have not cared? (laughs) Or could I have cared less about that they excise? Um, It'll all be on the Uh, (laughs) Blu-ray. Let's see if I'm buying that. Probably not. I wouldn't use it for a coaster. All right. Um, well, do we? So, as far as promotion, um, what's interesting to me is that we haven't really come to the conclusion: is the movie about Alma or is the movie about her? Certainly, the promotional material indicates that it's about him. True. Uh, from what I'm, the way people are describing it, she's the protagonist. That leaves me very confused. Well, I think that, I mean, tell me if you agree, but I, I believe the trailer is that classic, a, a classic example of a bait and switch. Yes. You know, I mean, the movie does set up like there is going to be some tension and 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 something's going on here. And in a sense, maybe maybe this is Hitchcockian kind of a movie. And what you end up getting well, is what you end up getting, but I don't. Under, I wouldn't know how to market this movie any other way than to make it appear as if it's something that it truly isn't. Hmm. I mean, I don't. You, you, you did you feel the same way when you saw the trailer prior to this? Well, I felt when I first watched the trailer, I felt like this was going to be an actual good love story without contention and animosity. Um, in, in between, with the with probably fashion as a backdrop, but right. it, it ended up being something completely else, um, something else. And not that I disliked it or or, or the, like that that made me angry, but um, it the trailer doesn't do justice of the film explaining what it is. No, and neither like I I just I disagree with so many people on this movie. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes has it on 91%, uh, summarized as a finely woven narrative, which is filled out nicely by humor, intoxicating romantic tension, and yet another impressively committed performance from Daniel Day-Lewis. And yet, like, what do you mean? That that's, 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 like, was a given, sure. But the humor and intoxicating romance? Yeah, no, toxic romance. And the thing, too, is, you know, critics have always loved Anderson because he's a movie, you know, person. To me, I I just find it to be, I find him to be very, personally, most of his things. I don't hate all of his things. I think we were talking before. Uh, I did like Punch Drug Love. His first movie, which I think was called Heart Eight, is actually a pretty decent movie too. Um, uh, there will be blood. That's a good movie, um, right? But movies like The Master, Magnolia, you know, to be just highly pretentious movies Inherent that are vice. Inher- oh my God, what a it's a mess. This movie isn't as bad to me as Inherent Vices. Um, but still, I just watched it's this movie. Very... No, I, but I watched this movie, and I'm like, and it, like you, 91%? Like, what are you high. watching? Like, I, I go to where... the movies to be entertained, and I don't mind if I come away with a message, but Jesus, <laughs> make that's, it worthwhile. Yeah, I think that's, like, numbers like that is where people just give 
a high approval rating just because of people who are in it. That doesn't necessarily make it a good film. Like Meryl Streep, she's been nominated 20 times. Does she deserve it every single time? Probably not. Yeah. And like Daniel Day-Lewis, yeah, he's won three Best Actor Academy Awards, which is like unheard of. But And yeah, he's a great actor. But this role is not his best. There are so many other films that I can name like five other films that are so much better than this particular performance in this film. Yeah, and he is very good. Uh, in this movie, but I'm going to throw out another movie. Another, I think another he has yet to see this movie, by the way. It's what I've read. No, like legitimately, I think he's like, it's very hard to watch selling. myself. And uh, so I, I don't yeah. think I, I haven't seen the movie. Yet. I believe that. But, yeah. but I'm going to throw out another movie that, that got very good reviews that was equally as deliberately paced that we talked about on this show. And not really one of us was a big fan of it. Jackie. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but that was I only 90 was, minutes. And that was a painfully slow film. It was painfully slow, but you're right. It was only 90 minutes. But again, remember the reviews on that movie. Um, there Super was a high. lot of uh, there was a lot of attention being focused on that movie. Uh, and we're like, what, what happened? <laughs> like, you go see these movies and you're like, 91%. Like, if you're going to give in blood 91%, I'll go, okay. You know, I mean, I think it's 91, but I can understand. But this movie, like, we're, we're the only ones who are bored to tears. And we're not the only and, ones, but we are mm-hmm. uh, a, a more silent minority. <laughs> no, we're voicing it now. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, all right. Well, hey, Daniel Day Lewis, he's he's getting a lot of praise and whatnot. We talked about that. Um, how many, uh, six nominations at the Academy Awards, best picture, best director, best actor, supporting actress, um, and a couple of others there. So we'll see. I mean, you know, what it will win. The only thing I can conceivably think might be costuming. Which... Maybe I think it's deserving of that. You know, I I mean, take that away. I I I don't necessarily think that Daniel Day Lewis will get it over, say, Gary Oldman Oldman. this year. Uh, That would be a that would be a shock, and that would be like we're giving it to him because he resigned, or or he's 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 not resigning. He's he's retiring from 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 acting. To me, like I said, I just feel. Okay, so this is the role that you've decided is going to be your last one. I mean, why couldn't you just work with Scorsese again, or work with Anderson again, but make a better movie <laughs> that that people care about? It's you know, I, I this I don't know, I don't know how he gets fulfilled in that sense, and I don't you know, maybe he wanted to, maybe he wanted people to dislike him, and that way it justified him leaving the business. Who knows? I you know, I'm not in his head. Yeah, no, I, yeah. no. It's all right. Well, you've we've been in our heads for long enough, so we'll <laughs> sorry, spare, we'll spare you anything else. I, I am curious for those of you who did like the movie. Um, we we've said that there's no easy way to. You either have to stand, you be stand by your convictions or not. Um, and we certainly stood by ours. So if you disagree with us, that's fine. I'm sure you wholeheartedly disagree. That's fine. Uh, just. Let's converse. Happy to do so. Well, and what I've been finding, too, is so for as long as for the 560 shows that we've done, the audience, and and we're very grateful for it, um, they've become 
better at expressing their opinions. We're what teaching the, them. Uh, well, I, I don't even want to. I don't want to get as pretentious as that. But I think that there is an appreciation for what we've been doing, and in doing so, there's there's been a sort of there has been dissenting opinion out there about things that we may have said, which is fine. But they'll at least present it in a way that I'll take time to read it and go, okay, that was very well thought out. Even regardless of whether I agree with it or not, you see, it's like a professor who may not agree with the thesis of a paper, but the way that it was written and presented, you still have to give them a good grade. And I still feel that at least the conversation has moved forward to where, you know, we still will get the trolley. We'll still get the trolls, but there have been, we've had some followers that have actually been really fun to converse with because they put forward, they've actually thought about what they said. And for that, I don't care if they agree or disagree, you know, but if you're going to call me names, whatever, but if you're putting it down and you're saying, well, this is what I thought. Have reasoning behind it. Yeah, I like it. I'm going to call you a phantom threat, whatever that means. If somebody (laughs) did like phantom thread, let us know why. Why? You know, Why? You Seriously, know. why? Um, why? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. In the meantime, you can also interact with us on on our social media at Serafini TV for right. Marissa. Still not ironic. <laughs> no. Nope. At D Movies seventeen oh one for Dimitri. Please do. And I'm at Phil Svitek. And of course, this is the Popcorn Talk Network. Check out all the other shows. Uh, Dimitri's been uh, guest hosting on Meet the Movie Press a couple of weeks. Yeah. So check that out, if nothing else. It's been a ton of fun. And uh, Simon Thompson, who's on our show for Baby Driver. Uh, yeah, I love doing that show. And he has, again, a really great audience, too. And, and, and hopefully some of them have come on to Anatomy of a Movie, because that's what I talk about. Yeah. <laughs> also, shout out to me and Marissa. If you love movies, we do kind of a hybrid where we talk about movies and books called Adapted. Uh, we're going to be doing Silence of the Lambs uh, next week, I believe. Yep. So. Which just, uh, I'll give the plug, which just recently came out as a Criterion uh, For the edition. 30th. Well, yeah. well, well It's the, the 27th, actually. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So we marry our love of books and movies. And if we're, we're going to do plugging, I'm plug my other Popcorn Talk Network show here. It's also called On the Fly Filmmaking. So if you actually love production elements, which I certainly do, as you can tell in our rundowns, um, that we have a good host, Mary Lou Mandel. She interviews directors, cinematographers, producers, everyone who's actually in the field of production and talk about their life and experiences. So, there you go. And since we're plugging, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys as always. Uh, throw yourself in the comment section. Why not? Everybody gets a plug. You get a plug and I get a plug. Uh, you know what? I, think I was talk, trying talk. to plug your show saying there's a Criterion edition of Silence no, I in the know. Land. That's why we're doing <laughs> it. Watch it. We're interactive that way because we <laughs> thought ahead. Um, also, uh, one of the things that I am reminisced that we didn't talk about was Valentine's Day because I thought it fit into the movie and people's thing. Anyway, I'll write it in the comment section if you're wondering what the hell I'm talking about. So stay tuned for yeah, that. It's a perfect Valentine's Bye. Day movie. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. Expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of its owners or principals.